Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. So today, we are celebrating our uh, what we're calling our Christmas service. Every year, we usually have one service that is... Um, you know, specifically a little bit more geared towards celebrating that day, um, December 25th, which we celebrate as Christmas Day. Um, Again, just sort of in our discussion earlier, we were talking about during a call to worship that Annie led us with this morning about um, the idea of the marriage of Christmas Day on December 25th is not just some random day but the theological significance of on the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year, which doesn't mean much to us in terms of um, we have electricity and, you know, things that, that kind of put the darkness, it feels at bay physically. But in a world before that, where it was incredibly dark and cold and they didn't have heating systems and all these things, there was a very real feeling of, is the winter ever going to end? Is it ever going to get better? Is this darkness ever going to go away? And the theological significance of us celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ on December 25th, which is around the winter solstice, is theologically significant because he is the light of the world who comes into the darkness and shines a light, and that darkness could not overcome it. It is beautiful, it is wonderful, and it is such a theological significance to it for us and what it means for us and for the world. And I think a beautiful segue into today's message, which is called Incarnate. We are starting a new message series called Incarnate. It is a two-week series that we're going to have this week and next week. And then on January 3rd, my wonderful, incredibly beautiful wife, Heather, right here next to me, is going to be uh, preaching a message to start off the new year. And then in January, we're going to begin a message series, a four-part series called In God We Trust. Um, and so I'm excited for the next couple of months. Uh, and then leading into that, in February, we're going to be doing a series called Creed, which is going to be really studying um, the beliefs that we have Um, based off of the apostles and Nicene creeds and kind of a fresh take on that. What do we believe and why do we believe it and what does it mean for us? And so that's where we're heading over the next few months. Um, But today we're beginning a series called Incarnate. It's Christmas time, right? And we've been celebrating this, many of us, in different ways. For some, we love Christmas and it's a joyful time. For others, it is a time of stress and frustration and memories of negative and difficult times. Um, But for Christians, Christmas, uh, the image that is probably the most most iconic image for a Christian at Christmas time is probably Jesus in a manger, right? We see the nativity scene. We see the baby uh, wrapped in swaddling clothes in a little manger. Um, that's, that's the idea that is the, probably the iconic, most popular thought of Christmas time for Christians. Um, and it also signifies the incarnation, whether or not we know it. Growing up in my tradition of a more of a traditional sort of evangelical Christianity, the incarnation was not talked about a whole lot, theologically or even just in general. We knew that Jesus was born, and then we, were, we know that theologically that he was um, the divinity in, infused into the humanity. 
but wasn't talked about much. If you come from more, um, more maybe mainline um, uh, Christian uh, circles, like maybe Presbyterian or Catholic um, areas, then the incarnation is more significant in your upbringing and in those kinds of spaces. Um, but I was, as we were getting closer to Christmas, I began to, uh, I had this idea that I believe was from the Lord for us to explore the incarnation and ask these two questions that will really guide us through um, these next two weeks. And they are this, what does it mean? What is the incarnation? What does it mean? But also, why does it matter? What is the incarnation and why does it matter? And so we're going to attempt to answer these questions uh, over the next two weeks. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and I wanted to start by reading out of Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to get a small taste of what the incarnation means. And then we're going to also be reading in John chapter 1. There's a lot of scripture today that's going to be kind of bouncing around, but our main passages this morning are Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 21. And then if you want to bookmark John 1, 1. Okay, we're going to go there after this. But Matthew chapter 1, Verses 18 to 21, I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible, CSB translation. It says this, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to a guy named Joseph, it was discovered before they came together, meaning in marriage as well as sexually, that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly. And the reason you need to understand that that's there is because of Jewish law, that uh, if a woman was divorced, particularly out of her infidelity, then there's, she would either be, she could be killed because of that was against law, um, or she would be disgraced publicly and probably would never be remarried. Okay. So being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, be decided to divorce her secretly. But Verse 20 says, after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Let's underline that. What has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So right away, what we see in this passage is that the writer, Matthew, wanted to make sure that his readers understood the concept of the incarnation was not an accident, that it was, in, that it was on purpose, it was intentional, and it had a mission. There was a reason for it. And we see it happening, all three of those happening in this verse, right? The angel says, what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. There's the divine side of the incarnation. But then verse 21 says she will give birth to a son, a human being. That's the other side of the incarnation. But why? He will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came for a very specific reason. And then we see in John, John chapter 1, right? John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to skip down to verse 14, okay? And we see here John now, another one of the writers, telling us about the incarnation, but giving us a theological understanding, a little bit more of a theological perspective of who Jesus was. Look what it says in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, 
right? Word, the Greek word here is logos, right? So the word, and it's talking about Jesus and the word was with God, but not just with the word was God, all right? So Jesus is divine. He was with God in the beginning. And not only present, look what it says, all things were created through him and apart from him, there was not one thing created that, not one thing that was created that has been created. In other words, there's nothing that exists that has not gone through him or that he didn't have a hand in. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness. And as we said earlier, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Now look down to verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the incarnation, right? This one that's talked about in John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. All things that were, that were present, all things were created through him and apart from him, not a single thing that was created had been created in him was life and light of men. That is what became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, interestingly enough, the word incarnation is not actually in the Bible. So what we know of the word incarnation, it doesn't exist, but it comes from the Latin or the Greek word incarne. Incarne means in the flesh, right? So when we say in incarnation, what we're talking about is God in the flesh, God in the flesh. And this concept of the word flesh is really important for us to understand because it, it gives us the implication of who Jesus is and how, why the significance of his life. The incarnation wasn't an accident. It was on purpose, and it matters what it means in terms of the flesh. And I think it's important for us to even understand what the word flesh means from a, from a Jewish mindset because they're the ones who wrote the Bible. So the Hebrew word for flesh, and I might be uh, butchering the pronunciation, but I'm going to go off of an English word with the little line over the A, means the long A. Who knows? Maybe I'm not right. But the word is beser. Hopefully that's right. Beser or basar. It's the word for flesh that you see in the Old Testament. And it's really important to understand the, the Hebrew mindset that the word flesh is not just skin. All right? It's not just this stuff on our, on our hands. It really encompasses all physical and psychological being. Right? So when the Bible talks about flesh, the flesh of people, it's not just talking about the skin and bones. It's talking about the heart. It's talking about the mind. It's talking about our being. So the incarnation means that God in the flesh means that God came into our being. It was not just a container. He lived it and experienced it. And so to say that Jesus Christ came and died in the flesh, which we know, is to say that he came and died in the state and under the conditions of created physical life and psychical life. In other words, that he who died was a man. But the New Testament also affirms that he who died eternally was and continues to be God. That's what it means to be the incarnation, that he was both fully man and fully God. And when he died on the cross, his body died, but his spirit did not. And so we have this formula that's going to be really important for us throughout the next uh, two messages, that the incarnation is made up of this, that in some sense, God somehow, without ever ceasing to be God, was made man. So we see that God fully came in 
and by inserting himself into a human being, he never ceased to be God at all, was made man and gave his life for us so that we might be saved. That's the whole point. I'm going to read that again. The formula which enshrines the incarnation, therefore, is that in some sense, God, without ever ceasing to be God, was made man and gave his life for us so that we might be saved. And remember what it says in Matthew 121, you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So now we know what the incarnation is. It is this mysterious moment, this power of the divine and the, the physical being married for a purpose of bringing us salvation. But why does it matter? Like, what does it matter that the incarnation, like, is it just something that we're thankful for? Like, does it, like, what is the significance of the incarnation? And I have to mention, there are two pieces and, and one of them is more practical than the other, but this message in general is much more, much more concept, much more theology, much more foundation, which is important for us. And next week is a lot more practical. So bear with me as we, as we dig, this is a little bit more to chew on, right? A little bit more to think about. Um, there is some element of practical to it that we can discuss, but, but I just want to prepare you. There's not like a five steps coming, okay? This message is much more like we need to think and understand this because it is so significant to us theologically, and it does set us up for the practical a little bit more uh, specifically next week. But why does the incarnation matter? Well, Colossians chapter 1 and Romans chapter 8 tell us why. Colossians 1.22 says this, but now Jesus has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. So what we see here is the word reconciled by his physical body. And Romans 8.3 says, for what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did it. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. So what am I saying here? Why does the incarnation matter? One of the most significant reasons of why the incarnation matters is because we are reconciled to God through the flesh. What does that mean? These two texts that we just read, more, they enforce from different angles the same truth that it was precisely coming and dying in the flesh that Christ secured our salvation. It was important for him to come and live in a physical human body in order for salvation to exist. Theology calls his coming the incarnation, his coming. What we celebrate is the incarnation. That's his coming. But the dying on the cross is what we call the atonement. There's an incarnation and there's an atonement. What the law could not do, Jesus did. This is very theological. The entire book of Romans is all about this. That Paul says that if we just live by the law, right, we would be fine. The problem is, is that we cannot live according to the God's law. We are sinful in nature. There is no way for us. Everyone falls short of the glory of God, right? That's what the Bible says. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And, and the wages of sin is death. So the law ends up becoming a judge. And so there's no way for us to be reconciled to God. There's no way for us to be brought back into the loving arms of our father until sin before, 
until the, the debt has been paid, until sin has been broken. And so what Jesus does is he comes to earth divinely in the incarnation, but living in a, in a human body, in the flesh that is normally broken, and by becoming flesh and living a sinless life, powered by the divinity that is within him, he was able to offer himself as a once and for all sacrifice that paid the debt of sin and death and met the standards of God's law so that we could be saved, which is why it says in Romans, for what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did it. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. And so Jesus's divine sonship is what guarantees the endless duration, the sinless perfection, and the limitless efficacy of his high priestly service. That's why he's called the high priest. He was the one who could minister on our behalf, right? In the Old Testament, all we see is this temple and the altar. And every year on the day of atonement, right? There was this special day where the high priest would come and he would offer sacrifices on the altar to cover the sin of the people of Israel. The high priest was the only one who could do that. But even that had to be done over and over and over again, limitless, like like just over forever. But Jesus comes and the book of Hebrews talks about him as our high priest in the spirit, that he came as the high priest because of his divinity and because of his sinless life, he was able to offer the once and for all sacrifice. And so we see it was necessary for Jesus to become flesh incarnate, for only in that state could he take the place as what the Bible calls the second man. Guys, stick with me. I know this is a lot of theology, but this is so important. What we see at the very beginning of the Bible is Adam, right? Adam and Eve, the first man. And what happens to him? Corrupted by sin, his failure, his inability to live up to God's standard by his own choice. But Jesus, the Bible says, by coming as the second man and doing it right, resets the clock for all of us, replacing Adam's failure by whom we all receive death because of Adam's failure. And instead, he offers us life to us through his resurrection, being made alive through Christ. That's what Romans says. That's what the Apostle Paul says, that we were, that we died We die because of Adam, but we are raised to life because of Jesus. And so God, Jesus is able to mediate now between God and people. So the first reason the incarnation matters, and I promise, step number two is much more easy to like take in and it is a little bit more practical, but it's so important for us to understand that none of what we believe, none of what we receive in our faith is possible without the incarnation. Jesus Christ coming, even the resurrection, the death and resurrection, which is so critical to us, doesn't happen without the incarnation. There were many people who were crucified but only one who was resurrected. There were many who were crucified, but only one who was sinless. And there were many people born in Bethlehem, but only one who was divinely infused into humanity. Jesus Christ, his, his, his incarnation is what gives us the ability to be reconciled because he did it through the flesh. But the second reason why the incarnation matters so much 
is because now because of it, there is an eternal connection and presence because of it. Look what it says in Matthew 1, verse 22 and 23. The reason that he came, right? Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Now, look at this. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated as, say it with me, God with us, right? The purpose of the incarnation was not just to reconcile us through the flesh, but also to bring with us to bring God into our lives, to, to, to destroy the separation, to create a space in which God is present with us at all times. Emmanuel means God with us. That's the promise that we have because of the incarnation. Now, not only did he come there, but now because of the Holy Spirit, he is with us constantly. There is never a moment in which we are not, that he is not with us, which is why we sang that song today, God with us, right? Nothing can separate. Nothing can stand between us. He is present with us. God shows the length and the breadth of his love for us by stepping into our lives. And it says that he experienced every human feeling, every human emotion. So when God stepped into the body, he didn't just say, well, I'm going to turn off the features of pain. Like I didn't, I'm not going to turn off the, I'm going to enjoy like the food and I'm going to like enjoy, you know, the smells of things. I'm going to like enjoy all of that, but I'm going to turn off my pain receptors and my nerves and my fear and my sadness. Like he didn't do that. And that's why the concept of the, the word flesh is so important because he embodied every single aspect of what it means to be human. And so when it says that he came to be with us, when his name was called Emmanuel, God with us, he can understand what we are going through. When I'm afraid, he's like, I know what it's like to be afraid. I remember what it felt like as a human to be afraid. When I'm doubting, he was able to feel what it meant to be doubt. When he was betrayed, he was able to feel and remember what it felt like to be betrayed. So when we feel these emotions of, of wondering and, and pain and fear, he experiences every bit of it with us. And yet he chooses to step into those moments. My friend, Jonathan Cordell, a, a great pastor and friend of mine says it all the time. I love that God chooses to step into and enter into our suffering with us willingly. And I never, I, I had a hard time like wrapping my head around it, but as I've studied the incarnation, and as I've studied the concept of God with us, that's what it means. That he, that, I mean, why would a God do that? Like, we think of God as being above everything, beyond all of it. It would be below him to step into human emotion, like suffering. Like, if you're rich, why would you want to go back to poverty, right? Like, why would you choose to do those things? But the God that we worship loves us so deeply that he will not even allow us to sit in those places alone. He willingly chooses to step into our pain, into our suffering with us. How great is the breadth and the love and the, the length and the depth of his love for us, that he experiences all of it. It means that there is nothing that he cannot understand, nothing that is too far from him or beyond him. And he sent the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of God, the, the, the part of the Trinity, which is a whole other thing, which we'll get into as we get into February, to live within each of us. 
He chooses to dwell in us. Remember that's what it said in John 1, 14. The word became flesh and dwelt with us. Dwelt. The word there is like tabernacle, tent, like to make a home, okay? Like he lives within us. He lives alongside of us. He lives there constantly. And so we see the marriage of these two principles, right? Like God can't be in a place where there is sin. He is holy, okay? So like we see all throughout the New Testament, particularly that, that God is holy, that he must eradicate, he must, he must um, judge sin. He has to deal with it. His holiness is perfection. And that means that he has to be separated from it which is why he was always separate from his people, which is why the temple was set up the way that it was, that people couldn't go into his presence. That was, it was like Moses had to hide from, from God's face because he'd be burned up by his holiness. You see, like, that's what it was. And that's why the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, once sin entered their lives, they were separated from God. So that problem had to be dealt with. Sin had to be dealt with. And so the first part of the incarnation of why it's so significant is because Jesus came in the flesh and dealt with sin in a way that no human being could on their own. And he paid for sin and once and for all created the sacrifice that, that eradicated the need for payment. It has been paid. You and I have been reconciled to God because of his death and resurrection through the body, which means that he opened the doorway for us. But then... The incarnation means that he's with us. He can't be with us if sin is still present. And so thank God for grace that covers our sin. The spirit of God that lives within us, that creates the, that maintains the pathway, maintains the connection, the eternal connection and presence. That no matter what we're going through, no matter what sin we have occurred or done, no matter what we will do in the future, which is why Paul says in Romans, again, Romans is such an important book to our theology. He says that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Like, if we repent of our sin, we're always welcome in his presence. The Spirit of God is always there covering our sin, giving us grace. He will always be present with us. And so the big idea of today's message as we kind of close it up and wrap this piece up, this big, like dense message today is this. Jesus came in the flesh to save us and live with us. That's the two pieces, right? That we just talked about wrapped up in a phrase. Jesus came in the flesh to save us and to live with us. Reconciled to God through the flesh, eternal connection and presence. Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this incredible, deep, important moment of the incarnation. It is very dense. It is very uh, theological. It is significant. It matters. And yet it is so important and powerful. Thank you for making a way past our bodies, past the physical limitations, the sin in our lives that we had no way to affect, that we were powerless and lost and stuck in. And you sent Jesus to come in the body, to experience life, to live as a human, 
and to, to be offered as a sacrifice to cover our sin and to make a connection with you, to be reconciled through you with your holiness so that we could be made whole and be called your children. We thank you for that. We thank you for the incarnation. We thank you that you didn't just solve the problem and leave. So, well, I did my part. Now they're on their own. They can, the, the best, the strongest will survive. They can climb the holy mountain and get back to me. Those who deserve it. No, you didn't do that. I thank you that you stayed here with us. That you were called Emmanuel. I thank you that you are with us. That your spirit is present in our lives and that we can, can sense you with us. That you are constantly holding us and protecting us. That you are reminding us of who we are and that you love us. If there's anyone on the call this morning who needs to, who wants to begin a moment with Jesus, perhaps this is the first time where this specifically has clicked this moment right now. You know, whether you've said it before or this is the first time, or perhaps this is like the one where it really makes sense and now you want to really dedicate your heart to Jesus in this moment because of understanding of the, of the incarnation, the significance of it being reconciled to God and that he is with us. If you want that this morning, just tell him, I believe it. I believe it this morning. I believe that Jesus Christ came into, that his spirit came into, into a human body and that he gave his life for me. I believe that he is the son of God and that he is with me now. That's all it takes, the Bible says, to be his child, to be his follower. And your, your, your sin is washed away. You are forgiven. So significant. God, I thank you for that. I worship you this morning. And I pray that as we begin our discussion and as we move through this week and we get to Christmas Day, that we would remember we would think about, we would ponder the significance of the incarnation. And next week, as we move into the practical elements, what does it mean? How does this affect our lives? How can we uh, be affected internally and in our minds and our spirits, but also how does it change other people around us? God, would we just, just would your spirit continue to remind us of the power of, of your, in the incarnation and the significance of it as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ coming into the the darkness of this world and shining a light. We thank you for who you are, what you have done, and what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home, or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to encountergiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.